that cross is the symbol of humiliation in the life of Christ. So much so that Christ himself, even when he tells disciples to follow him, he, he tells them to deny themselves, take up their cross, his cross, and follow him. Following Jesus means humiliation. And it means taking up his cross. But if we just talked about symbols, we'd be missing the point. Because it isn't the cross as much as it is the man who died on the cross and what his sacrifice meant that gave it such weight. And this passage in Philippians, I think, outlines this reality pretty well. Paul, in Philippians 2, in, in Philippians 2 begins by saying this. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being full of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says this, have this mind in yourselves. What mind? This is the point. And... Uh, he says, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, a bond servant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see you on your cross and what it meant for us. When you think about what it means to be Jesus, who was Jesus, what does it mean to know Jesus, you're thinking about the most important question that you could ever ask. Somebody might not think, well, that's not the most, like, surely there's a more important question than that. But there's not. There's not a more important question that you could ask then the question, who is Jesus? What does the cross mean? What, what does it all mean? Why? What, what is the humiliation symbol? Like, like, what's the point of all of that? I'll tell you who he is. What the scripture says about him. He is very God 
of very God. Jesus Christ was God. But though he existed, as Paul says here, although he existed in the form of God, he did not consider that a thing to be grasped. He didn't cling to his privileges as God. He laid aside his privileges. The scripture says he emptied himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant a bond servant, and he humbled himself all the way to death. Now, think about this progression. Think about this progression. The very form of God to death. That, that's the humiliation. What is life? What is the source of life? What is the thing from which all living things spring forth? Who is what the scripture calls the prince of life? It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the one through whom God made the world. He is the word of God. He is God. I want to consider these statements and follow this progression. God, servant, death. Again, Paul says he existed in the form of God. What does Paul mean here? I'm going to tell you, I don't want to spend a lot of time arguing for this other than to illustrate it in the scriptures. But he was God. Very God, very God. We say... Uh, the, the, the Nicene Creed, I love that part of the Nicene Creed that describes Christ. It says, you know, uh, I believe in God the Father. And you have that first part. And then it says, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten and not made. He, he's not like God. He is very God of very God. Listen to what. Jesus would say in John 17, just take a peek with me. In, in, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays this prayer. Sometimes it's called the high priestly prayer. It's, uh, I don't know, Romans 8, it might be the best chapter in the Bible. But this has got to be top five. Because here in John 17, what, what you do is you look <coughs> over the shoulder of Jesus and you listen to him talking to his father the night before he went to the cross. And he says, Father, the hour has come. This is John 17, 1, the second part of it. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all mankind, and that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do, and now glorify me 
together with yourself, Father, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before there was a creation. Before there were worlds. Before there were people. Before there were stars and galaxies and anything else. There was God. And Jesus was there. God the Son was there with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And they were in eternal fellowship with each other. And they existed in glory. And I, I, this is what's amazing about the humiliation of Christ. Christ, he didn't come to earth to gain something for God that God didn't already possess in and of himself. God didn't become more glorious because Christ came into the world. But what God did by sending Christ into the world was to display his glory. He created a world and filled it with creatures. And he created heavenly creatures and the heavens and filled them with creatures to behold his glory. Not because he lacked it or because he needed it. But because that's the kind of God he is. A God that displays his glory. That shares it for the joy and the benefit of, of all kinds of creatures. There he was in glory with the Father. Without need of anything from us or this world. And yet, he doesn't consider that a thing to be grasped. He doesn't consider that a thing to be held on to. He humbles himself. I, 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 I promise I won't go through the whole Bible, but I, I'm just blown away by this thing in, in the first chapter of Hebrews. In the very beginning, the author of Hebrews says, this is Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God, after he spoke long ago in the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. Okay, so he's there at the beginning, creating the world. This is God. But listen to what this says about Jesus. This is just, wow, it's earth shattering. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So what does the radiance of God's glory look like? What does the, like if the light bulb has a filament. We don't even have filaments in our light bulbs anymore. We got LEDs, okay? I don't think LEDs have a filament. But you get the point. The very, the King James Version says the brightness of his glory. That's, that's what it says there in Hebrews 1. The, the very radiance of God's glory is Jesus Christ. It's the God the Son. And yet, back in Philippians, he's humbled all the way to the point of death. John chapter 1, of course, at the very beginning, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. And, and John goes on to say that uh, 
It was, it was the word that was the creative force in the existence of all things. So there's God. That's Jesus. So what, what is humiliation? Humiliation is what Paul says where he says he emptied himself. If you look in, in Philippians 2.6, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So the, this crazy thing happened. Very God of very God, the brightness of God's glory, the filament of, of the bulb, so to speak. Very God, the glory of God, came into the world, and John says, chapter 1, verse 14, John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the word became flesh. and dwelt. That's the humiliation that Paul is talking about. God became man. And, and the scriptures don't teach that God like um, expressed an avatar in the appearance of men. Okay? The scriptures don't teach that Jesus came into the world and looked like a man, but was really something else. The scriptures teach that Jesus became, the word became flesh. God entered into the womb of Mary and was born a baby, a vulnerable, crying, weak, sick, potentially, and, and, and certainly through in his life, baby that had to be cared for and nursed and coddled and protected. What greater contrast is there between the God of all glory and a helpless baby? Anybody got a helpless baby? Any helpless babies in the house? Some new helpless babies in the house. Where's that ice baby? That's a baby. Oh, that means being taken care of. <laughs> The brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, the creative force behind all life. Contrast that with faith. But interestingly, John, I love it. He says, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's that's a step of humiliation. He became a man. He became a baby. He became a human. One of the old uh, catechisms, uh, both the Westminster and the Baptist catechism, uh, say said that Christ's humiliation consists in his being born, and that in a lowly condition, made under the law, um, capable of being tempted by sin, not, not that he could sin, but, and, and, then, and then his death, his humiliation, his, his being born, being a baby, being a person, dying, 
that's pretty humiliating. And yet, there's this theme, even though he becomes flesh, we behold his glory. Then Paul goes on back in Philippians 2, and he says, he goes on and he says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made light in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, God became flesh, and then that man, that God-man, Jesus Christ, laid down his life to the point of death. When you think of the hero, um, you think of the victor, right? You think of the guy that wins the fights most of the time. That's that, like, uh, because of Christ, we know this hero story of humiliation and then glorification, uh, of being humbled and then being raised. But the world wasn't looking for that kind of savior. The world wasn't looking uh, for that kind of redeemer. Isaiah, in his just breathtaking prophecy about the suffering servant would say, you know, who, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like, who's going to buy this one? Because the Savior being described there, the Redeemer being described there, is a suffering Redeemer. <coughs> a dying Redeemer. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet... He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. He laid down his life willingly. He became, as Paul said, obedient to death, even the death of the cross. In John chapter 10, uh, there's so many good things in John. I, I don't know. I, 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 I see this in John, 7, uh, John 10, 17. Um, Jesus says, <clears throat> For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. Jesus didn't enter into humanity and go down to the cross because he was weak and because he was defeated. The humiliation that Christ suffered was a humiliation that he volunteered for. It was a humiliation that he took upon himself. He was like a sheep before his shearers. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He could have consumed his enemies by calling lightning or, or, or whatever else. He spoke universes into existence. That's not what he did. He laid down his life. Now, I, I don't want to spoil the end of the story. But he says, I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. And he did. But I want you to consider something with me for a second. 
And this is really what I was trying to get to and where I think the Bible's going. And I know it's where Paul wants to get to because he wants to get to Sunday. We're talking about Friday, but he wants to get there. And uh, it's not fair. I have to talk about the cross, but I don't get to talk about the end of the story to be continued. It's a good story. But I want to tell you, the glory of God was on display when Jesus was dying on the cross. I want you, I want you to consider this. One of Jesus' purposes for coming into the world was to display the glory of God and to tell us what God was like. And if you want to know what God is like, you look to the cross. Now this is a paradox. This is a great mystery, Paul would say in another text. It's a paradox. That darkest moment when he allowed his life to be snuffed out, when he suffered under the wrath of man and the wrath of God, that moment so dark that even the skies darkened so that the sun didn't even shine. So dark that he cried out in agony and said, God, why have you forsaken me? That moment was the brightest, clearest display of God's love for us that has ever been shown in the history of the universe. And when Jesus laid down his life on the cross, he wasn't laying down his life in defeat. The glory of God wasn't snuffed out. It was on display. The most godlike thing that Jesus ever did is what he did when he laid down his life for his sheep. We can think of God as judge. And we should. Because the Bible teaches that God is a just judge. But as people, as human beings, we can get that concept pretty well. Almost all world religions get that concept pretty well. That God is a just judge. Our Muslim friends would tell us that God is a just judge. Our Jewish friends would tell us that God is a just judge. Even those that practice religions that we might call pantheistic or polytheistic or even somewhat atheistic would, would argue for some kind of universal principle of karma or of justice or of payment for sin or of people getting what they deserve in the end. All world religions have this in common, even with Christianity. But the brightness of God's glory is not in His law. The brightness of God's glory isn't displayed most when He sits on the throne as judge. The brightness of God's glory is displayed most clearly when 
Christ our high priest offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Behold your God when you look at the cross. Behold your God when you see him dying for our sins. When you hear him groaning, as the old hymn says, groaning on the tree. That's God laying down his life for us. Martin Luther used to say that we were looking for a theology of glory. We were looking for a path of glory. We were looking for victory. We were looking for success. We were looking for wins. But what Jesus showed us was a theology of the cross. <clears throat> Not a theology of the cross. <clears throat> Don't let the world and the devil and false religion tell you that when you stumble and you're weak and you're broken and you get sick or you find out you're going to die or you lose a child or you lose all your money or your job or your legs or your sense or your memory that that's ultimate brokenness and humiliation. Our Savior was a suffering Savior. And the glory of God was displayed in His death. And He calls us to deny ourselves, take up His cross, and follow Him. My Christianity, if it was wrapped up in a theology of glory would fail me when it doesn't work for me. And there's lots of times it hasn't worked for me. I didn't always get the job. I didn't always get the raise. I didn't always get the healing. I didn't always get the joy. I didn't always get the win. And neither have you. But in Christ, we got the love of God. Is that enough? Is the brightness of His glory enough? Well, so what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to know Jesus Christ? It means to know the one who came into the world to die for sinners and lay down His life for them. And I'll just end it with that same verse again. From, from, from John chapter 10. He says, spoiler alert, John 10, 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see your glory. Give us eyes to see what it means to follow you to the cross. And give us eyes to rejoice in knowing that you have authority to take your